Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode 450 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Faux Fitty, we done done a lot of episodes. I am down the Yo, line. Donald, your Donald, host. do you know? Do you know what 450? What area code 450 is? Uh, no, I don't. It's Montreal. It's Quebec. It's Montreal. I I know that. I I just I happen to know that area code. That's random. That's in Canada. We don't <laughs> deal with Canada area codes. I know the six is. Yo, RJ Barrett, baby, RJ. RJ, we 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 took him from Canada. He's ours now. He's not he's not Canada's. I don't care what national team he plays for. That's our boy right now. But he is not on this podcast. We will talk about him later on, though. I am Donald Wine. I'm your host for this episode. I am actually coming to you from Kansas City, where I'm here for a wedding. I actually will be at the wedding during Countdown to Craziness tomorrow, which is the reason why we're on this show. But don't worry, we are going to preview everything about it. I also have Jason Evans and Sam Klein here. First, Jason Evans, how you doing today? Four five zero, baby. I'm fine. <laughs> that's that's great. That's great. I like that. Sam, how are you doing? Did you know that four fifty is divisible by both nine and ten? I that's did know cool. that. You knew that. Uh-huh. Cool. I, I, <laughs> I. That's all I. That's all I had to add. Also, four fifty is a big number. That means we've done a lot of episodes. So before we get started with that, guys, J- Jason, Sam, bravo, 450 of these. That's what's up. And that's not counting some of the other things that we've done, the, the special episodes. Those are just the numerical ones. Uh, so that's really cool. And thank you all for sticking with us through 450 episodes. But let's get into episode 450. We begin with Countdown to Craziness, which is tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. I believe it is on ACC Network Extra, which is kind of the ESPN, uh, watch ESPN uh, app. You will need to utilize that. If you have the ACC Network on your cable provider, you will be able to watch Countdown to Craziness tomorrow. So make sure you find that on your ESPN app. But guys, this is the first major look of the year for fans of the Duke basketball team we get to see this year's team kind of see how they're how they flow what their personalities are what intro music they like uh we'll get to see the intro uh, videos that we'll see for the first time we'll get to see the poster uh and we'll get to see a lot of things and also again as we've said many many times on this show over the last few months this is the first countdown to craziness with John Shire as the head coach. So uh, a lot of, uh, apparently a lot of things will be tweaked a little bit different than we've seen in years past because of all the first we have in mind. But honestly, it's the best part because we are so excited to finally see our team take the court into uniforms for the first time before a packed Cameron. So Jason, I begin with you. All of the hoopla around countdown and craziness is finally here. What are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward. I mean, you know, I think it's always obvious to say, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing the freshmen. First of all, Duke is almost always built around star studly one and done kind of freshmen. And and, you know, inherently, we know the least about them that we know about any of these guys. I feel like with this freshman class, that's even more the case because. Well, we've just been getting all this different conflicting info (laughs) from from practices and scrimmages and stuff like that, 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 you know, is tough to parse your way through just this week, just a couple of days ago, uh, several of the guys who follow college basketball and, and uh, NBA drafts kind of scouting stuff for ESPN. were talking about Duke and, and they'd been to, they'd been on campus. They'd spoken to John Shire. I think they've, they've seen some practices and stuff they're, they're raving, raving about Tyrese Proctor. The word coming out of the Duke camp is that, and, and look, we've, 
we've been on this train for a while. <laughs> um, I will I will freely say that. Remember, uh, like the day that Tyrese Proctor committed, um, I was already talking about you know that dude might be a starter on day one, um, and we've been talking about his time with the Australian national team and what that did for his maturity. Um, the guys who've seen practices, the guys who are talking to the Duke folks, are saying that Tyrese Proctor looks like the real deal. In fact, there are NBA analysts who are starting to say Tyrese Proctor looks like a lottery pick, um, which is a big deal for Duke. And and then the other one they're talking a lot about is Mark Mitchell, um, because the word we've gotten is that, uh, you know, we talked about our secret scrimmage tape that we had a few days ago. And in that secret scrimmage tape, Mark Mitchell was on the blue team, the subs, and Kyle Filipowski was on the white team with the starters. The, the word that we've gotten is that that has flipped recently and that Mark Mitchell is now starting. Um, and that Kyle Filipowski is playing with the subs. And I'm I'm going to be really interested. I think one of the things I may watch the most, Donald, to get to your question, is those two guys. I think they'll be matched up against each other a pretty fair bit. And I'm going to be real interested in seeing what each one brings to the table to see how John Shire may use them. I think at the moment, it feels like this Duke team is defensive-minded. Shire has talked about he wants this team to be an elite defensive team. I think John Shire wants this to be the best Duke defensive team that we've seen in many years, and he thinks they have the potential for that. And I think that's why Mark Mitchell, who is a just a great athlete and presumably a great defender, is getting that nod. And Kyle Filipowski, who maybe is struggling on defense, maybe easing back a little bit in terms of his role. Jason, what's the current status of Derek Whitehead for this game? Because I want to say that the thing I'm most excited to see or that the player I'm most excited to see is Dariq Whitehead. But if he's not healthy yet, then we sort of have to wait and see on that. I think, I think there's no chance Dariq Whitehead's playing in this game. Um, uh, you know, my bet is he'll, he won't be wearing a boot. I mean, we've sort of heard that he's not wearing a boot all the time. Um, uh, but I, I, I can't imagine there, there's still plenty of speculation that Derek Whitehead is not going to be ready to play in Duke's season opener, which is still several weeks away. Um, in fact, they're, you know, starting to hear some stuff that maybe he won't be ready till December, maybe. Um, and, and so I think there's no chance he plays here. We are, you know, end of October. I think for me, it, we're talking about Derek Whitehead. And again, uh, we'll talk a lot about him uh, a little bit later in the show. But I, I think when it comes to him, this is the this is the part where we get to introduce the personalities of the team. We get to learn about a little bit. I mean, little snippets of Therese Proctor, the person, Derek Whitehead, the person. You know, we know about Jeremy Roach's person, but even our grad, you know, transfers uh, like Ryan Young, uh, Kale Catchings. We get to learn about who they are, what their personalities are, and kind of how they flow. I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Whitehead dresses and participates in warmups, like very light warmup things, but does not play in the game. I don't think he's going to play in the game, but just to kind of get him out on the floor and kind of get him used to the routine of how a pregame would work. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him involved in that, at least to some extent, not the full extent, but at least again, maybe participating lightly in layup lines, um, doing the stretching and all of that stuff and kind of walk around and being in the uniform so that fans can see him in that uniform and kind of get that glimpse of what it's going to be like to see Tariq Whitehead. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, Sam, you know, what what are you looking most forward to uh, tomorrow when, when these guys take the floor for the first time? Well, Jason talked about the what appears to be an emerging battle between Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski for the starting power forward spot on the team. 
I'm looking and I asked about Dariq Whitehead because I'm looking at the two guard and the and the three spot on this team. Not that I think John Shire is going to talk a lot about positions, you know, taking from his predecessor. There's there's a point guard and there's a bunch of other guys on the floor. But the guys on in those wing positions, we've been talking all summer and really since they started coming in on the recruiting side that behind Whitehead, who's expected to be the most talented wing on this team. You have Jacob Grandison. You have Tyrese Proctor, who's apparently emerging now. So I'm very curious to see how all the wings shake out and which combinations of them seem to work well together, because it's not just that Whitehead is going to be a great offensive player and that he's going to fit in defensively alongside Derek Lively, the second, but that he's going to be able to potentially create for other guys on the team. Does Jaden shoot make enough buckets? Is he consistent enough off the bench to garner real minutes? Or is he, is he just not going to play that much this year, which I don't think we would consider a a huge failure for him, but I am sure that he is coming to practice every day thinking, you know, if I can, if I can put up a few extra threes over Tyrese Proctor or over Derek Whitehead, or over Jacob Grandison, then maybe I earn a few more minutes on this team. So I'm most excited to see the way that the wings play with each other. The other part that we've gotten a glimpse of on the practice footage is the, I don't know if you want to call it a rivalry, but let's call it a rivalry between Derek Lively and Ryan Young, because both of those guys, I anticipate. Love it. Yes. Yes, Sam. Yes. Yes. I think that the minutes, I think the minutes breakdown between, between the two of those guys is 25 15 and we like like at the five one of those guys is going to be playing basically every minute of the game unless it's a huge blowout and we would expect Derek Lively to get the 25 and and Ryan Young to get the 15 that's my impression going into the season I would not be surprised if Ryan Young is able to motivate himself to make that maybe more of an even split or uh and not to not to discredit his NBA potential, but that potentially Derek Lively has struggles uh, adjusting to to the college game and and et cetera. We see that especially with big men. It seems like that might be part of what's plaguing Kyle Filipowski right now. And and the fact that he's you know four or five inches taller than Mark Mitchell and is trying just to just to get in the conditioning that you need to be that big and to play in the ACC. Some of that may come down on Derek Lively too. Again, I don't know that 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 says they're not going to be great pros or that they're not going to have successful seasons. I think Mark Williams struggled with some of that in his freshman season and look at how great he was in his sophomore year at, at not just putting on the muscle, but being in the right shape to, to compete at a really high level in the ACC. Duke has a ton of new guys on this team, not just the freshmen, but among the grad transfers who are going to be battling with them. And I don't think John Shire would have brought in dudes like Ryan Young or Jacob Grandison or even Kale Ketchings if he didn't think that they were not just competing in practice, but competing for minutes. Yeah. So I know you guys have focused a lot on the, on the lineups and I think that's one aspect of things that, you know, I will look at and that other fans will look at the the lineups, who's playing with who the combinations, kind of the matchups, as you guys have said. Uh, But obviously I I think we all agree that you're not going to learn everything about how this team is going to play in this scrimmage. I mean, we'll, we'll start learning that when they start playing other teams. Right. So, uh, but for me, I think 
the greatest part about this is again, I, I alluded to earlier, is learning about these players and their personalities and and the music that they listen to. The, the how if if one of them likes to dance, if one's kind of the the class clown, so to speak. I like to learn about that because Jason, as you mentioned the earlier in the, in the show, like this is the team we know the least about in quite a while. Like it's there's a lot of freshmen, there's a lot of new faces, uh, even the coaching staff, right? Like we we have a new coaching staff. Um, you know, Jai Lucas, uh, or Jay Lucas, excuse me, is going to be uh, on there for the first time. And we have guys that we haven't seen in Cameron. So I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, because I think that kind of help, helps us endear uh, the fans to these players. Like if we know, you know, if this guy's a class clown or is going to be the one that's going to motivate or energize the crowd. Uh, I mean, that's how some legends kind of got their name, right? Like Josh Harrison is someone that he didn't play much on the floor but his personality that he exuded at the games that can't and count down the crazes. That's what people latched onto. And that's why he was such a popular player, even though he didn't get a lot of playing time. So I'm looking forward to seeing how all these uh, players interact with each other and really how they interact with the crowd for the first time. Cause for, again, most of the team, it is their first chance to interact with the camera crazy. So I'm looking forward to that. Jason, I do want to go back to you because I know we want to talk a little bit more about, the style of play. We've talked a little bit about the up-tempo-ness, the more shooting of threes, uh, but what are you thinking about, and especially, you know, in line with what we may see tomorrow night? Well, you, you hit on it. I, I was going to say, we've talked a lot about the players, but but there, there are a couple style things I really want to pay attention to. And and Donald, by the way, I think your caveat is absolutely right, that I, Shire's not going to unveil his entire bag of tricks in a blue-white scrimmage game <laughs> at the end of October. So it's going to be limited in terms of how much we really learn about what's going on with this team. That said, I want to look at how many threes they shoot. We've heard that John Shire wants to have five shooters on the floor at all times, um, which which I think is a really interesting prospect. Part of that's going to be, you know, how much does does uh, does Lively play on the perimeter? Um, you know, that it's a strong possibility. We've heard that Lively may play a lot on the perimeter on offense. And and that may be part of Duke playing essentially five guys, five out a lot of the time, at least when Ryan Young is not in the game. So I want to, I want to see how much that turns into just shooting a lot of three pointers. Um, I want to look at the defense, you know, do they press? Shires talked about how fast he wants this team to pe- play and the pace they want to play at. Do they try and accomplish that with the press? Do, do they play zone or only man to man? Is there any trapping? I mean, look, I, I don't think we, I, I'm trying to think if I can remember Coach K ever, other than like in a desperation situation, like late in the game when we were down, did Coach K ever employ a trapping kind of defense? Very, very rarely during his. You it know, was more the players that would do it, right? It wasn't like, it It wasn't like a, a structured part of the defense, but it was things that they kind of said, hey, you know, I, I think about. Tyus and Trey Jones, they both had times where they would employ a trap. Right. You know, where they would in jump. 2019, yeah. in 2019, when we had, you know, Cam Reddish and Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Trey Jones that could go on the perimeter and take the ball and go and dunk it the other way. Like there was times where it was the players that kind of initiated it, but it wasn't a part of the actual structure of what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I don't know that we're going to get a chance to see these things in this scrimmage, but these are the things I'm looking for from a style standpoint. And then the last thing is, how much is Jeremy Roach in charge? Everything that we've heard coming out of practice, anyone who has spoken to the coaching staff says that this is Jeremy Roach's team, that he is the focus of everything thus far. Um, and, and so toward that end, 
How much is he looking for his own shot? How much is he creating for others? What kind of shots is he getting? What kind of shots is he creating? That may be, especially early in the year when Derek Whitehead is not yet fully integrated to this team and maybe not even you know ready to play yet. That may be the thing that drives Duke's offense more than anything else. What does Jeremy Roach want this team to do at this given moment? Yeah, and I think the other delicate thing that we always like this game that we like to play when countdown comes is how hard can a team play without playing hard enough where people start getting hurt? Uh, and obviously we want everyone to remain healthy, but I do think that when it comes to this game, you'll see some guys going at each other, but you're not going to see, you know, a lot of charges being taken in this game, right? You're going to see you know, some clearing the lane. And obviously at the end, you may see kind of like what you'll see in the NBA all-star game where guys just kind of clear paths and let people do some, you know, some hype, you know, some incredible dunk or dunk attempt, something to kind of get the crowd going. Oh, I would not be surprised if we do see a little bit of feisty defense in this game. Not enough to get someone hurt, but right, these right. guys know that they're not just performing for the Duke fans. They are performing for the coaches, and this is an opportunity for them under the lights to show how much they can bring it because I every season, whether it's Duke or or, or other sort of teams that, that we may keep tabs on, you always hear about so-and-so is, is killing it in practice, throwing down dunks and blocking every shot and, and taking all these charges and, and doing everything. And then you see them on the court and you're like, where did that go? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I actually think you might see some, some feistiness from this team. They'll be excited to show off a little bit. Feistiness and moderation, right? Like that's kind of how exactly. it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, and Sam, why don't you wrap it up for us? Cause I know one of the last elements that we kind of think about when we think about countdown to craziness is just the aesthetic that is Cameron, like just the, the, the glitz, the glamour again, it's the first time of this season that we get to see Cameron at full throat. What do you got for us? Totally. So part of that is the, the countdown to craziness element, right? Like the lights and the show and, and what are they doing for John Shire's first year? What are they doing with, you know, opportunities to put these guys in, in new and exciting sort of like branded, uh, uh, opportunities. It, it feels like there, there's so much more that could happen. And let's be real, there, there's a chance that Coach K may have held some of that stuff back because he didn't like it or he was too old school. So there might be some aesthetic changes that are coming that we don't even have a preview of because Duke is just not going to tell us until it happens. The other thing that I was thinking about as we started this conversation, are you all familiar with the um, with the science behind uh, smell being like the strongest of the senses in terms of like generating memories. Correct. As we were yeah. talking about like seeing the guys competing with each other and, and, and sort of getting into like the nitty gritty of like what's actually happening on the court, not all the, all the hullabaloo around it. I had this very strong memory rush back to me of like the smell of Cameron indoor and the, and the way that it, it's not like it's a, I mean, if you're in the Cameron crazy section, it's probably smelly because there's just a lot of people around you. I'd but, say the musty sweat that's like just but, permeating. But if the you have the opportunity <laughs> to be at a game there and either sit upstairs or like stand in one of the corners uh, in the lower bowl, like somewhere where you have a little bit more breathing room, that there is a particular smell to that place. It's a good smell. It's a smell at least that I think of as positive. I'm, I, uh, I don't know if I speak for everyone in that, but man, that, that memory gets me so excited. And when I watch the games, I think I can still like detect it more so than, than it was 
before I had gone to a lot of games there. So I know that, you know, some of our listeners have been to many, many, many games in Cameron Indoor more than any of us because we have, you know, people who are season ticket holders who, who listen, who've been season ticket holders for decades. But some folks, I'm sure listening, have never been to a game there. And and uh, so I, I can't specifically help you get tickets or anything. But there is there is something about the smell of that place. No, Sam, be so excited. Sam, you just reminded me of remember last year, they right around countdown the craziest, they did that uh, video where the drone is basically going throughout campus and stopping at different points like the chapel and stuff. And then it enters Cameron during a basketball game. That's the most amazing video. It's great. (laughs) It's so cool. But if you think about it, like all of those, all of those sensory things, right? Like the lights, the hear, the, the, the noise that the band generates when that team comes out, the competing smell of popcorn and Chick-fil-A sandwiches, like those like little things that Yes, again, like you may be in the stands at a, wherever you are in camera, you kind of have that moment where you go, I'm in here, I'm here, I'm part of this moment, I'm a part of this crowd. And for all of us at home that are going to be watching, it's you're going to generate, you're going to feel that emotion and feel that moment through your television screen. But for the people who are there, you're right, Sam, there's nothing like it and there's no way to properly describe it. Uh, and just everything that you kind of take in whenever you do enter the doors of Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yeah, I don't think anyone I've ever gone to a Duke basketball game at Cameron Indoor Stadium with has left and said, "Yeah, that was cool." Right, right. Like that's <laughs> that, that's that would be the most understated version of like, it was "Oh fine. my god, yes, that's all right." Yeah. Like, have you seen? I took I took a couple friends to the. I, I managed to score like extra Duke UNC tickets when I was a student and took friends from out of town, which is amazing, right? Like, it's so cool to be there for that game, but. We walked in and immediately they were both like, and and neither of them are are Duke fans, and they came in and they were like, whoa, like everything in here is so cool. So yeah. um, that's my that's my plug uh, for for folks who haven't been to uh, shell out, make it happen, go see a, a Duke men's basketball game at Cameron Indoor. It doesn't matter if they're playing North Carolina or Jacksonville State. You are going to have a great time. Cameron is one of the few experiences out there where huge hype huge expectations and yet it exceeds expectations every time every single time Agreed. again like like sam said it does not matter the opponent that hype is always there and that hype always lives up to it so tomorrow tomorrow night 7 p.m see we're already excited like we're i think it's, excited I think it's 8 p.m i think I think well, there's, there's probably yeah. there's probably all kinds of shenanigans that go on beforehand that they'll televise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I no, think I, they... actually, I, I I believe I saw that the uh, the ESPN uh, or sorry the ACC Network extra coverage starts at eight, and the scrimmage is supposed to start at eight thirty. That I, I believe that's what I saw. I just want folks tuning in at the wrong time. Yes, though no, that that's that's great because I think on the calendar it initially said seven, but I know those times usually fluctuate there, based on television. So. You're right. There's stuff like starting at like three thirty or four o'clock. I mean. Right. Yeah, if you got tickets, get there get early. Get there, get there <laughs> early. Yeah, don't listen to us. Get there early. Uh, but for those tuning in, ACC Network Extra again, check your uh, local listings. It might be on a on a feed somewhere, but more often than not, it's going to be on your ESPN app. Cannot wait to. We'll review that and and talk about everything over the weekend once that is done. I did want to move on, guys, because I want to talk about the series a little bit more serious side of basketball. We have ACC preseason rankings and awards to uh to discuss on this show uh let's start 
with uh, first of all the ACC media uh, during we, you know Jason was talking about ACC media day on the last episode uh, they all submit their votes for uh, the order finish who they think which team is going to finish atop the ACC who they think should be first team second team all ACC and also preseason player of the year and preseason rookie of the year so I want to quickly read through uh, the Dukies that and, and the team obviously that made that list uh, first of all Duke is picked to finish second in the ACC. They did get two first place votes. North Carolina, UNC is is ranked number one in the in the first AP poll. Also ranked to finish first by the media in the ACC. They got ninety first place votes. Virginia got six first place votes. Miami got two, and Virginia Tech got one. Uh, moving on to the preseason All ACC, we do have one player that made the first team. That's Jeremy Roach. Second team, Derek Lively, the second, uh, made the second team all ACC. That's overall, not just the rookies. The preseason player of the year, uh, Armando Baycott UNC is the one that the media picked to finish first in that category. Jeremy Roach and Derek Whitehead both got votes uh, in that particular category. And then finally, I think the one that is, again, shows our excitement for this freshman class is preseason rookie of the year. Derek Lively, the second, is the one picked to overwhelmingly finished first as the preseason rookie of the year. He finishes first, Derek Whitehead second, Therese Proctor third, Mark Mitchell fourth, and also appearing on this list a little bit further down is Kyle Filipowski. So basically all of our freshmen, all of our real recruited freshmen make this list in some way with the top four listed vote getters being Duke Blue Devils. So Sam, I go to you first. Uh, obviously, I just talked about a lot, but take it from where uh, where you're sitting. What do you what does this mean for Duke? What are what are some of these preseason rankings mean? Obviously, we want some of the postseason ones to be the same or be the same and have some of these guys on these lists. But what does it mean that to that the media is talking about them in the preseason? Well, let's talk about the Duke guys first, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about reactions to some of the other teams and players on here. Obviously, Duke was going to get a lot of dudes on the rookie, all ACC, all rookie team, right? And and as you mentioned, Donald, the top four were were all Duke guys, and Kyle Filipowski also got himself a vote there. So pretty... Filipowski, by the way, tied for fifth. There are like four guys that, but essentially, our top five are the are the top our five freshmen. Sorry, Jaden Shoot. That's right. Two are, are, are the are the five are the five Yeah, but. Lively and Whitehead, similar to Armando Baycott in the player of the year race, where he got like 90% of the votes. Uh, Lively and Whitehead got the vast majority combined of the like rookie of the year vote. And what was most interesting to me is that uh, Lively and Whitehead, in addition to somewhat splitting that first place category, Lively ended up ahead of him. In the preseason player of the year voting, Dariq Whitehead got a vote and Derek Lively didn't. Meanwhile, Derek Lively made the All-ACC second team preseason. Derek Whitehead did not. So there's some disagreement about which of those two is, is going to be Duke's best freshman among the media. But to me, what's most interesting is that Jeremy Roach made the preseason All-ACC first team. And I am going to issue my first uh, real prediction of this season, which is that Duke will have a guy on the ACC first team at the end of the year, and it will not be Jeremy Roach. I don't know which of Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively it's going to be, but my prediction is that one of those guys is making the all ACC first team, whichever of them is like more astounding 
as a freshman and that Jeremy Roach will be steady Eddie. He'll have a couple game-winning plays or game-winning shots. He will be one of the highest on the ACC second team at the end of the season, but that one of Lively and Whitehead will be first team. And then going to, to where Duke was picked in the preseason, you know, as a team, I think the consensus is that Duke is the second best team going into the ACC season. It is interesting to me that Virginia got more first place votes than Duke did. Uh, maybe those are the uh, the writers that were that were waiting for the Ken Palm rankings to come out or, or something. But um, but that's that's pretty interesting. And Duke closer to Virginia at three than they were to North Carolina at one, who who's pretty consensus the top team going into this year. So uh, I, I've issued me my one, my one spicy take. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be interesting, right? Because you kind of have that the ACC media does like to reward the type of players that are like captains, not necessarily the best on their team, but obviously a very solid player. If their team does really well and finishes usually in the top one or two in the conference. So I think Jeremy Roach's spot on the first team could be more secure if Duke ends up winning the ACC. So let's just go ahead and win it, especially over uh, those people down the road. Jason, what do you got? So so I, I love Sam's spicy take, and I think it's a pretty good one. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to make this like my official hot take, but I think there's a, there's a chance. Uh, when was the last time Duke didn't have anyone on the first team all ACC? I think it's probably probably been a little oh, – oh, actually, probably um, – no, probably the COVID year. We didn't have anyone during, during the 2021 season. Yeah. If I, I'll check while you're talking. But there, I don't there's think there's no way. I can't. I, I don't know who yeah. it would have been. Oh, Matthew Hurt. Actually, Matthew Hurt probably was. But anyway, regardless, um, I don't know how long it's been, but I think there's a chance that Duke puts no one on the ACC, the first team all ACC team, because I think that some games Jeremy Roach is going to be the best player. Some games Dariq Whitehead's going to be the best player. Some games Derek Lively's going to be the best player. Some games Tyrese Proctor is going to be the best player. I'm saying that right now. Um, so I think Jason, it's going to be a, a very interesting. Jason, Matthew Hurt did make the first team. Here we go. In 2021, he was the only Duke player to get any votes for all ACC. Yeah. Um, so we uh, my bet is we have to go back a pretty long way. Boy, you know, maybe back to like 2008 or nine, maybe somewhere in there. It's probably been a long time since there was no Duke player on the all ACC first team. I, again, I think that's possible this year because I think we're going to have a more balanced team than usual. Unless look, I know we know next to nothing about Derek Whitehead, except super high rated coming out of high school. And people said he could be the man, but the way it looks so far, I'm not sure there is anybody who is the man for Duke. And if you're not the man, I'm not sure you make first team all ACC because there's so many good players. It almost feeds the uh, intrigue, right? About this team. Like, yeah. Is there going to be a guy that kind of steps up and is more consistently the man, right? Like it's going to be interesting to see how that works. It's also going to be interesting to see, especially from the freshmen. Cause again, the media is so split that like, yeah, there there's two guys that got the vast majority of the votes, but five guys got votes because they think from this team, there's each of them have that capability to be the best freshman in the conference and one of the best freshmen in the country. So uh, I think that's interesting. Sam, I think you have the answer on when the last time we did not have an all ACC first team player. And that time was. Yeah. Jason was very close. Uh, it was actually the 2007 season, a year that Duke fans <sighs> would like to forget. Uh, Josh McRoberts made the second team that year, but 
uh, was not able to eke out a first team uh, uh, placement prior to that 1996. Chris Collins made the second team and Jeff Cable and Ricky Price made the third team, but no Duke guys on the first team. Same thing in 1995. Cherokee Parks did make the second team that year, though. And uh, and then we get back to 94 and uh, turns out in years when Duke made the final four, they had some first team all ACC guys. So by the way, I was not a lot of years, although actually in 1990, Duke did not place anyone on the first team. uh, Amazingly. (laughs) And I don't remember. Jason's going to have to to tell me how much better uh, Dennis Scott, Brian Stith, Kenny Anderson, Dale Davis, and Eldon Campbell were than Christian Leitner that year because uh, I mean, that's a pretty good enough for second team. Leitner was just a sophomore. Leitner was just a sophomore that year. So, I mean, I, I guess I can, I guess I can see it. Yeah. And those names aren't like names that people haven't heard of. Those are some, you know, names that we heard quite a bit in the NBA uh, for a long time. Those are some, those are some legends. Two, the game right there. two Clemson dudes on the first team, all ACC in 1990. No, Clemson was really good back <laughs> Clemson then. Was they, good. They, they were good. <laughs> By the way, I want to clarify. I I was pretty sure when I was trying to come up with a team, I was like, it was probably that McRoberts that team that McRoberts team when he and Paulus were sophomores uh, the year after Sheldon and JJ Reddick graduated. That's the team I was searching for in my head. That I was like, that's the team that probably didn't have a first team All ACC team. And I thought it was like 2008 or so. So I had it right. I just had the wrong year. <laughs> it reminds me the the years that you did pick, Jason. Remind me of one of my favorite uh, like deep cuts, Duke like memes of of like player analysis that that ever was which is that Kyle Singler was always the second best player on his on his Duke teams but every year the best player on his team changed so uh to support to support this hypothesis in the 2007-2008 season DeMarcus Nelson landed on the first team all ACC Kyle Singler was the next best getting votes for Duke he was on the third team the I was going to say I bet year, I can I bet I can name the best player each year Well yeah right so the, yeah. right so the next year it's who it's Gerald Henderson. Right. Gerald Henderson mm-hmm. was first team the next year. Kyle Singler was on the second team. The year after that, first team all ACC 2010 for Duke was? Uh, probably Nolan Smith. Oh, no, no. no. Uh, he's, he, he came in second place in ACC player of the year voting because Duke lost to Maryland uh, for its final loss of the season at Maryland. It was very dramatic. Duke lost to Maryland. Grievous Vasquez was ACC player of the year. Is that Shire? John Shire was, came in second place. Kyle Singler was on the first team, but he came in fifth. And then, and then next year's no one. Next year's Nolan mm-hmm. Smith. Yeah, yeah, Nolan Smith exploded. He was the ACC Player of the Year that year when uh, with with Kyrie Irving out. Uh, Nolan really really stepped up that year. But Kyle Singler did did come in second place in All ACC voting among Duke players four years in a row. <laughs> so I I just you mentioned uh, Greg Paulus, and it always brings up uh, one of the most insane stats you'll ever hear in your life. Uh, Greg Paulus to this date is still the only player in college history to lead his conference in turnovers in two different sports. <laughs> two years. Oh, no. That's yeah. an amazing stat. It's an man. amazing stat that. that I do not think will ever be broken. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I digress. But yes, it, that's interesting. Just like how far along, like that there's always some Duke player that steps up. And if you think about it, like even in those years that we would consider kind of mediocre or not great, we still had players that were good enough to be considered one of the best in the ACC. So hopefully this year is no different. Hey, just really quick, guys, if I can. Uh, there were some things about these all ACC teams regarding non-Duke players that I just want to point out really quick. Look, starting in January, we're going to be doing nothing but talking about other ACC teams. So might as well pay attention to them at this point. 
Um, I was a little bit surprised. Nigel Pack, um, who's the transfer from Kansas State, who's playing at Miami mm-hmm. this year, was first team all Big 12 last year. Again, Big 12, really good conference. Probably the best conference in the land. He was first team all Big 12. Transfers to Miami. He's not even named as a second team all ACC player. I think that's an oversight. I think Nigel, I know Isaiah Wong of Miami got a lot of love and was like runner up on player of the year and stuff like that. I love you, Isaiah Wong. Great player. Nigel Pack's going to be the best player in that Miami team. And I, I think that when we look back on this, we're going to go, how the ACC writers do that? Jason, this is a classic like triangle area bias because the first team is two UNC guys, an NC State guy and a, and a Duke guy. And then they like threw one of the Miami players like the 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 last spot on that team but uh yeah. but the, the, there's so as, as you right it's, not it's like him. the college football playoff we're like yeah yeah the the other conferences the little like gang of five yeah we'll we'll put one of you guys in the in the in the in a bowl play bowl game yeah, that's cool we'll put you in the orange bowl but everyone else big power five conference all right so some of the other stuff i noticed um pj hall of clemson um made a uh, second team all acc P.J. Hall suffered a pretty bad knee injury. I'm not sure when he's going to be back. Brad Brownell is saying he'll be back before the ACC season begins. But, you know, I'm not so sure on a bad knee injury that P.J. Hall is going to be all ACC. Uh, Jalen Gardner, Virginia made it. And and Jalen Gardner, really good player. And he's going to be Virginia's leading scorer. But I I don't know why Reese Beekman didn't get any love for, for first or second team all ACC. Half the game is played on the defensive end of the floor. And Reese Beekman's almost certainly the best defender in the ACC. Remember, he was he was neck and neck for ACC Defensive Player of the Year last year. He's the best perimeter defender in the ACC. And the fact that he gets no all-ACC preseason love from the writers, I think, is a mistake. And then I, I, I did want to note that some of the folks who voted on this are completely clueless idiots. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, but among the Rookie of the Year voting, Jalen Washington and Tyler Nickel of UNC both got ACC Rookie of the Year votes. They each got two votes. Um, I just want to be clear about something because Carolina has a good freshman. Seth Trimble is a, is a nice freshman player. And if you want to say Seth Trimble is going to explode and be a really good player for UNC, I'm fine with that. But Jalen Washington and Tyler Nickel are, are not even top 50 recruits. They're both big men like center power forwards on a team loaded with other big men. Those guys aren't even going to play. Including Armando Baycott, who is the runaway preseason player of the year. And going to play 35 minutes a game. I mean, how on earth are you voting for these guys who are not going to play 10 minutes a game? There's just, there's, unless you're projecting that Armando Baycott is going to get injured this year, how are you voting for these guys? It's, it just shows that the writers don't know what they're doing. I love the salt that Jason brings to the all ACC (laughs) freshman team when Duke has. The top four guys. <laughs> I got more. I got more. J.J. Starling of Notre Dame, who almost came to Duke. J.J. Starling, criminally underrated in this freshman of the year voting. He is going to play a major role for a very experienced Notre Dame team. I think if if it's not Lively or, or, or Whitehead who wins ACC Rookie of the Year, J.J. Starling is going to be in the race. I'm telling you. So that, that's that's what that's my thing about preseason voting. That's that's awesome. The the salt that just exuded. It's it's great. This is this is why we have these things. Because we need to have we need to have some salt with the pepper. You you, you can't you gotta have some seasoning when we Donald, I have things. one more note. Uh Virginia Tech got one vote. 
for winning the conference. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only note. And they're yeah. and they're f- picked to finish seventh in the conference by the media. That Good that's luck. another. I, I I would love for the writer who voted to pick Virginia Tech to win the conference. I want that person to stand up and explain to us their vote. Uh, probably from Roanoke, and that and and parts close by. You that's, guys that's keep talking. I, I, I will Google this. Some I'm sure someone wrote this column because you don't just submit a vote like that and not tell everyone about it. That's like part of the fun, right? Yeah. So while Sam looks that up, we're going to pause here for a quick break. On the other side, we have some Dukies in the NBA. The NBA just opened up this week, and we have some great performances to talk about. But also, twenty-five players. It was one of those. Is one of those guys on your team? Stick around. Find out who to support in the NBA this year. Yo, Paulo Bencaro killed a guy. (laughs) We are back. Uh, I'm still laughing because, yo, Jason was right. Brick killed the guy. That that brick was Paul Bencaro. But Paul Bencaro is not the only guy that did some killing in the NBA. Uh, I just want to start off by listing, first of all, we have 25, as I mentioned before the break, 25 players that started the opening night of the NBA season on an NBA roster. I just want to quickly go through a few of those. We're not going to list all of them because there's just too many. I do want to say if you were a New York Knicks fan, uh, New York Knicks is Duke North. I know Madison Square Garden is Cameron North, and you now have the Duke Blue Devils of the North because R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Trevor Keels, three guys, uh, the New York Knicks, have the most Dukies of any team in the NBA. Uh, I'm just going to stick locally to our our teams here. Uh, Sam uh, Sam is a Washington Wizards fan. Vernon Carey Jr. is carrying the Duke torch for them this year. I get my boy Marvin Bagley III. He had a knee injury, but apparently it's okay. He's going to be uh, back fairly soon, so I'm looking forward to seeing number 35 in the red, white, and blue. And Jason Evans. Jason has two guys on the Atlanta Hawks. You got AJ Griffin and we have Jalen Johnson. I know we don't like to talk as much about Jalen Johnson, but he is still a member of the brotherhood and Jason, you get to watch him this year. And also really, I'm very excited to that. You get to watch AJ Griffin light it up from beyond the arc. Yeah. AJ didn't play at all for the Hawks in their opening game against Houston, but Jalen Johnson was one of the key subs on the team. He, he wasn't, you know, it's not like he was electric or anything. He only had one basket, but, but he looks like he's definitely, part of the rotation on a Hawks team that is, um, you know, certainly one of the better teams in the Eastern conference. So that's, that's exciting for him. Yeah, absolutely. And we, again, we have guys, uh, I'm just counting here. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have at least 19 teams. Uh, I'm sorry, 15 teams that the, that have Duke players on them. Uh, some obviously have one, some have two, uh, but really there's quite a few teams in the NBA that if you, if there's one nearest you, there's probably a Dukey that is either going to be playing on that team for you this year, or will be coming to your town pretty much every night. Donald, you mentioned that I've got Vernon Carey on the wizards, uh, which is, you know, the team that I grew up with, but uh, the team that plays very close to where I live Mm -hmm. is the Boston Celtics. They play in, in TD garden, which is just over the river from me. And uh, the Boston Celtics feaster, Jason Tatum, who uh, went for 35 points on opening night, and uh, he's going to have another great year. He was, I believe he was first team all NBA 
last year mm-hmm. uh, was was good, not great in the playoffs. And uh, they're very much hoping around here that Jason Tatum is is leading the Celtics back to the finals this season. So that that that's probably I think that's the the guy in the NBA that I'm most excited to see from Duke again this season. If we're not talking about Paulo Bancaro and, and his debut, as well as uh, crossing all of our fingers and toes for uh, fully healthy Zion Williamson. Well, we saw a fully healthy Zion Williamson last night. We'll talk about him in a second. I just want to say with Jason Tatum, 35 points, and it felt like he could do much more than that. Like, that's how good he's become. That 35 points, I'm kind of looking like, yo, he he didn't really have his best game, but 35 points is 35 points, Jason. Yeah, and uh, there's there's already some talk that Jason Tatum is going to be in the MVP conversation. I mean, I, I know it feels like, you know, LeBron and Giannis – um, James Harden and a few Kevin Durant, you know, there, there's some guys who you like, Oh, those guys, Luca, you know, you're like, Oh, those guys are the MVP convers, uh, Nikola Jokic. Sorry. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of talk that Jason Tatum has elevated himself into the stratosphere with those guys and that he will be in the MVP conversation this year. Uh, Donald, he's you going to have Paulo. to be, he's going to have to be right. Yeah. Because like just the turmoil that the Celtics have gone through with, with their coach being suspended for the year, like, they're going to have to rely on on him and Jalen Brown to a certain extent. They're going to have to rely on those guys to really be the Celtics that we've been accustomed to seeing the last few seasons. You, you know, you you mentioned Paulo. I I just want to. I I mean, he had twenty seven points, nine rebounds, five assists, two block shots. Um, he he played thirty five minutes. And like I said, he killed a guy. If you haven't seen the highlight, I don't know where you've been, but he gets R.I.P. Corey Joe. Oh my gosh, uh, just just destroys the dude. There have been in the past thirty years, there have been exactly three players in the NBA who have gotten twenty-five plus points, five plus rebounds, and five plus assists in their debut game. Their names are Grant Hill, LeBron James, and Paulo Bancaro. I think Paul is in pretty good company there. Yeah. I mean, also, also Jason, another cool stat. He, uh, obviously he was the number one pick uh, overall in the NBA draft. He had the most points by number one overall pick in his debut since Allen Iverson dropped 30 points back in 1996. So again, we're talking about hall of famers here that and Paul Bancaro's name attached to them. So uh, just really quick, if I can, there are a couple sort of interesting little things that happened with the NBA getting started. Just in terms of Duke classes, do you guys know that the class of 2016? Jason Tatum, Frank Jackson, Javin Delaurier, Harry Giles, Jack White, and Marquise Bolden. Every single one of those guys, all six of those guys, have earned NBA paychecks now with Jack White getting some NBA money on a two-way yeah, deal. That's amazing. That, that that's that's absolutely incredible. And and then you got to talk about the uh the the was it the class of 2018. Um, Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson, Trey Jones, RJ Barrett, all four of those guys played yesterday, <laughs> last night. And um, well, <laughs> th- yeah, three of them started. Cam did not start. He had 22 points. Like we said, Zion had 25 and nine. Trey Jones is the starting point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. He had 14 points. RJ Barrett had a, had an off game. He had 11 points and eight rebounds, but I mean, man, at the class of 2018, Class of 2016, very impressive. Very, very impressive. And I want to shout out, you mentioned Zion Williamson and and the play that he had. Uh, I also want to shout out uh, Brandon Ingram, who went for 28 
uh, seven boards, five assists. He had a terrific game too. And I think really, and Trajan Langdon is kind of the architect of this team as, as the general manager of the Pelicans. I want to say if they can keep Zion healthy all year and Brandon Ingram plays at the elite level that he played for most of the year last year, Pelicans might be something to talk about come playoff time because they're they're going to be rolling some heads. I think it it really they can also fly a little bit under the radar because no one really talks about New Orleans when it comes to these accolades of who's going to be the best team, especially in the Western Conference where they're just loaded with teams that are really good or great. The Pelicans could be flying under the radar and they really will be fun to watch, especially when Zion and Brandon are on the floor. You know, the the last number that we should talk about with all these Dukus in the NBA is 5.5. 5.5 is the percentage of the NBA that are Duke players right now. That's that's crazy. That's insane. Five and a half percent of the NBA today is a player that went to Duke University. Pretty that's cool. fun for us, too. Man, pretty cool. Because <laughs> I know bonkers. <laughs> And I think it's great, right? Because I know we all have kind of, you know, allegiances or, or like teams that we we follow or root for um, in the NBA. But a lot of Duke fans haven't really needed to do that lately, right? If they weren't in the NBA, the influx of talent from Duke that has gone to the NBA means that, again, on any given night, they can find a team that has a former Duke player on it that they really love and appreciate. And they can watch that team play and they can watch that player play. If you live in an NBA town, you have guys coming every single week to to watch to either play your team or again, you may have someone on your team more often than not. And look, we know that not all these players are created equal. You know, I, I right. You got to be a hardcore Duke fan to care about all 25 of those dudes. But even if you care just about the dudes that are in contention for awards and deep playoff runs and stuff, uh, there are there are Duke guys everywhere in the NBA that are on lists like that. So uh, again, the NBA season has tipped off. There's a lot. Of, I mean, over the next six months, there's going to be a ton of basketball. Donald, real quick, mm-hmm. I need to issue a correction. Jason Tatum was second team All uh, NBA last year, not first team. So we'll be looking for him to make the first team this year. He was first in our hearts, and that's all that matters in the Duke Basketball Report podcast. He was also the Eastern Conference Finals MVP before uh, the finals that we're not going to talk about, at least from his perspective. Exactly. So I, I think I think he's going to be okay this year. Again, 35 points, mediocre output for him. He can do a lot better. I'm looking for a, a few more 50 burgers from him this year. Uh, Sam, Sam, I, I really think you're wrong. I think he was all NBA first team. Uh-oh. I'm looking at his basketball reference page. It says he was second team. Uh, hold on one second. The all I don't know. NBA... I don't know. This is just a fact that we can Google. Yeah. Well, so the, the all NBA first team last year was Giannis, Jokic, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, and Jason Tatum. It it just was. <laughs> how, how does basketball reference have this wrong? This I don't know. Crazy. Wikipedia has it right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking. I'm looking at the official like release, and yes, Jason Tatum was first team. Oh, I see. I'm reading incorrectly. It says two time All NBA uh, on his page. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I, there uh, it is. I'm sorry, folks. I uh, I'm not a good reader. Yeah, because he was he was third team in 2020, mm-hmm. and then um, first team that last year in 2022. I, I I went to engineering school. I don't read so good. <laughs> But again, I think we're gonna we're gonna, we're looking forward to Jason Tatum being first team because I think uh, I think we all agree at this point that he is one of the top 
five players uh, in the NBA, at least from his play over the last year. Uh, looking forward to seeing him carry that through this year. And all the Dukies, best of luck to all of them this year. We're, uh, we're fans of the Brotherhood, even if they're playing our particular NBA team. So we hope that they do well. For me, it was great because they uh, the Bancaro opened up against the Pistons last night. Like Jason said, he killed one of my guys. Uh, but, you know, the Pistons won the game. And Paulo Bancaro still got his. So, Yo, did the Pistons is, yeah. want to win? Do the Pistons or, or are they tanking? Who's in the tanking? Who's in the tank look, right now? Look, 30 teams are tanking for Victor Wimbayama. <laughs> 30 teams. I don't care what they tell you. In fact, even there's just probably going to be some trades going on, like close to like everyone is in the in the pit for this guy. I'm and, tanking oh, for oh. Victor Wimbayama. Yeah. Yo, my, look, yo, my rec you, league team sucks. We should get number one pick. <laughs> yo, Utah. So Utah beat Denver last night. And I guarantee you there are people in Utah who are like, guys, what are y'all doing? Yeah, but chill, to be chill, these chill, baby. But you got to do it. I mean, the, the great thing about the NBA like draft lottery is that it doesn't necessarily always reward tanking, right? Like there's always some team that kind of comes out of nowhere and gets them one pick. So it, yeah, it, it makes it where you got to be, you still have to kind of pretend, right? You got to pretend like, like I did, like the Pistons last year, they were great at this, at being competitively terrible, right? Like, they were just good enough to get everything to the fourth quarter. Then, oh, man, turn over here, turn over there. They lose by six points. Like, that's what they need to be doing. Jason, if if Utah does manage to tank and get Victor Wimbanyama and then they pair him with Rudy Gobert, like, what, Sam, what happened? Gobert Rudy gone. Go- Gobert's Sam, gone. Rudy Gobert got traded to, to Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everyone's gone. <laughs> Utah <laughs> traded, Sam, Utah traded everyone for every draft pick. But yeah. that's what they did this offseason. So they just okay, cool. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Guys, guys, I have a I have a I have a an admission. I, I really don't watch that much NBA. I just get excited about Duke guys and their highlights. So this is the, exactly right. Like, so I'm a guy who watches the NBA all the time. Jason watches all the time. I mean, and then, I, Sam, I, I am, you're repping wait, for I, the you're 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 repping for the guys who may just have like a couple of I'm here for the Duke players. guys. That's yeah. it. I'm I'm a fantasy NBA player. I won my fantasy league last year. I think I told you guys this. Mm-hmm. So uh, my team is called the Land of Zion, um, because I have Zion Williamson on my team. Meanwhile, I had him all of last year, even though he's injured the whole he's injured the whole season. He was my first pick, and I still won the league. Meanwhile, I've never played fantasy basketball. It's uh, a lot of work. <laughs> I haven't played I haven't played fantasy sports in like I don't know seven or eight years. Same. Let me tell you something. It's a great idea to not play fantasy sports. I agree. It improves, it improves your quality of life dramatically, and I highly recommend it as a lifestyle choice. There was one year I won like two football leagues, one basketball league, and a soccer league, and I just retired. And then you like, quit. And I quit. I'm done. I don't have to do it anymore. So uh, long story short, ladies and gentlemen, the, the too long, didn't listen portion of this podcast, watch the NBA. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. Watch if you basketball. say so. It's going to be a lot of fun this year, especially tomorrow night. Countdown to craziness. We will end it here for episode 450 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We will be back later on this weekend to recap all the basketball that we watched and even some of the basketball we didn't. But until then, stay locked. Send us emails, especially what what you were looking for at Countdown to Craziness. If you saw what you were looking for, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from all of our listeners, uh, and we will talk to you soon. So for right now, for Jason, for Sam, I am Donald. And now, Duke Band, take us home.
Guys, I can smell Cameron Indoor Stadium. <laughs> I can smell the tubas. <laughs> oh, and uh, and happy birthday to my dad. Happy, happy birthday. birthday happy birthday. He, he turned some some bigger number than I am today. And he's a big Duke fan. I would hope it was bigger than yours because we're gonna have to talk about genetics. Some how big that works. Some big some big number. He doesn't yeah, want to be a time reminded. travel movie. There's a time travel movie called Premonition. Premonition. Back no, pre, to the future. Pre, sorry, called Predestination. Stars Ethan Hawke, where he is, uh, he is himself. He is his father. He is his mother, and he is his daughter because he likes gender fluid or something like that. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like, it's a mind twister. There's a great. A uh, bluegrass song called "I'm My Own Grandpa." <laughs> that actually yeah, has it. a very. We talk about some weird, random thing like, like, uh, oh, my dad's older than me. I take it to movies. Sam takes it to bluegrass. Yeah, I'm exactly. my own grandpa. It's a convoluted story, but it involves a lot of remarriaging. Uh, it's a, uh, it's real classic Appalachia, uh, uh, folklore. Yeah, Black Adam sucks, by the way. <laughs> Oh, I I will watch that later. I I wasn't gonna see that in the theater. Yeah, I'm saving good. all my chips for. I will say the trailer for Creed Three. Ooh, boy. looked really good. Looks really good. Give me, give me that. Yeah, because Jonathan Majors, uh, he went he went to did a little work on his body there. Well, he didn't have to do much. He was mostly there. Um, but I I've been telling people this that there was a joke going around that like, oh man. They done fucked up Michael B. Jordan's career because they put Jonathan Majors in the same movie. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of fair. Like Michael B. Jordan is is a good actor, I I I feel. Sure. But Jonathan Majors is, could be an all-timer. Yeah. Like, next level. He yeah. he's he's the next Denzel. That's what um, I say. Yeah. Um, because Denzel getting up there. I, I, mean, I saw a photo. I saw a photo of Denzel on the set of Equalizer Three. They're making an Equalizer Three. I was yes. like, Denzel's getting up there. It's gonna be it's gonna be fucking awesome too. <laughs> I love the Equalizer movies. He's always good for some line like "I'm gonna kill everybody." <laughs> yes, Ooh. yes. Denzel is that he he is that actor who, uh, I, I mean, an incredible serious actor. You know, like freaking played Othello last. Like, dude, mm-hmm. you 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 give him a good script, dude is just gonna knock it out of the park. But he's also up for I'm just gonna be a badass. I'm just gonna kick some ass yeah. and. I mean, if you think about it, he was in Equalizer 2 and then was nominated for an Academy Award for the Lady Macbeth. Like, yeah. <laughs> could fuck it. If, if I was 10% as good at my job as Denzel is at life, I'd win. <laughs> <laughs>